0: Anything I need to say? Um, turn with me to thirty third chapter of the book of Exodus, if you would. Thirty third chapter of the book of Exodus. Let's all stand as we honor God's word by standing. Thirty third chapter of the book of Exodus, and um, and I'm going to begin reading in the eighteenth verse, and. Um, I'm going to read through the 23rd verse, Exodus 33. This is Moses uh, uh, speaking to them concerning uh, a vision that Moses uh, prays that the people has, and he says, "I beseech ye, show me thy glory." And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face for there shall be no man see me and live. He said, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff in, in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but but my face shall not be seen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of it. Thank you, Lord, for watching ocean, and taking care of us. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Thank you, Lord, for those that have come out today. We just pray that you'll bless them uh, tremendously today for being in the house of the Lord. And, Lord, I just pray in all things that you might be honored and glorified, for it's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. You know, you don't, uh, you don't need to see God to see His work. And, uh, the glory of God is, is something that you can't see. If, if, if you, if you ever see the glory of God, then you've seen something that a lot of people's never seen. And that's what he's telling uh, uh, Moses here in, in this, in the text. He's telling Moses, he says, you can't see my face. Moses won't see his face. But God doesn't have a face. Uh, God doesn't, God doesn't have a face. And uh, God is a spirit. And if you ever hope to see God, then, uh, then you're going to have to see his glory as it as it passes by each and every Sunday. God's glory passes by each and every Sunday. Every Sunday here at Landmark Baptist Church, God's glory passes by. The, the, the Bible conference we had just recently, uh, or last weekend, uh, the, the theme of the Bible conference is, Unto him be glory in the church. You know, you, you see His glory. His glory passes by every Sunday right here. But some people sit and they don't see it. They, they don't understand it. And, and some people will say, well, if I, if I don't see God, then it's not real. Well, you're not going to see God. You're not going to see God. You're not going to be able to see God because He's a spirit. And, and if we're to worship Him, you got to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now today I want to speak to you on a subject called seeking souls and sovereign grace. Seeking souls and sovereign grace. Now we know that Jehovah God is the creator. We all know that. We all understand that. And maker of all things because he is, because he is, he can do as he wills with his masterpiece, which includes all of us that are here today. God can do as he wills with us. He can do whatever he wants to do with us. He can he he can see that we get sick when we're supposed to get sick. He can see that we get well when we're supposed to get well. He can see that we uh when we when we're blessed, he can see us uh when we're blessed, he can, he sees us when we're not blessed. And he knows all these things. God knows all these things. He created us. He made us what we are today. What you are today, God made you, and God created you into what you are today. Uh, the great apostle Paul said, "Hath not the potter power over the clay, of the same lump, lump to make one, to make one vessel unto honor, and another to dishonor?" We wonder why some people are constantly, in, in their whole life, they dishonor God; they never show God any honor. They never show him any 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 uh, uh, thing as far as as him existing. You know they they never they never understand that God is real, whether we whether we can see him or not. He's real. He's there. And and uh, and, and and you you think well, when I get to heaven someday, I'll see God. No, you won't. God is spirit. Only only person you'll see in heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only. He's the only a uh, member of the Godhead: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Whoever was incarnated into a man, and, and walked upon this earth, he'll be the only one you'll see. When you get to heaven someday, you won't you won't see that, and and those vessels to dishonor will never see him. Those vessels to dishonor will never see him. God. God made some vessels to honor, and he made some to dishonor. And, and, and the honor ones are the ones that he saves, and the dishonor ones are the ones he doesn't save. So that's, that's God's will. That's what God does as far as we're concerned. When you talk about seeking souls and, 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 and sovereign grace, you're, you're talking about a God that works without being seen, a God that works when no man sees him. A God that works and, and if you think that you have to believe something, you said, I'll, I'll believe God when I see God, you know, you're never going to see God. And, and he, he made that very clear to Moses here who, who was seeking after a vision of God, which he never did. God said, you can't have it. You won't have it. And, and that, that backside of God is his work. That's what, that's what he's referring to here. When he says up here, he says, And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. The back parts of God is his work. What he does, his work, his will here on the earth, that's the backside of God. God God shows his will in our lives every time we turn around. We uh, Sometimes, you know, uh, we just wonder, you know, uh, why do we do the things we do? And why, how, why are we... Why, why do we seem like we're so alone sometimes? Well, you know, the backside of God says that we're not alone. Backside of God says that His glory is presence everywhere. And, 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 and when we see it, then we'll, we'll begin to understand it better. In other words, God can do as He pleases. Neither you nor I or any other person can complain about what He does. Or for that matter, what he doesn't do, we we can't complain. You you say, well, I I I just don't understand why why does God do this? My mom was bad about that. My mom was bad about my mom would say, well, why does God do some of the things he does? I just don't understand it. Well, it's because God, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And and let me say this. If you're here and not saved today, you'll never seek after God until he seeks you. You'll never seek after him. So if you sit there and wait on something special, there was, I had a lady uh up in Kentucky that, bless her heart, she was a good person. As good as she could be, she'd come to church, and she would sit there, and she'd say... When God shows me who he is, then she says, I'll be saved. You know, she never did see God, who he was. She died like that. She died like that. She sat right there, and, and I told her one time, I said, do you want the church building to fall in on you before you wake up and realize that uh, uh, that that you're not going to sit here and you're not going to see God eventually? You're not going to do it. And, but uh, that's, God does as He pleases. And some people says, well, well, uh, how come He doesn't do this? He does as He pleases. My mom, again, I said, my mom always said, why, why does God, why don't God just go out there and, and, and just, uh, just kill them or something? Uh, well, I had a lady at a church I passed in Kentucky, Sister Maud Arnold, she would tell me, she'd say, well, God needs to come down and just destroy all of them. Well, God, what God doesn't do is His will. What God doesn't do, you'll, you'll say. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if you read in the Bible somewhere where it said, uh, uh like Brandon, you know, it said, when the bottom of your feet start hurting, then you 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 know you're ready to God work on you, do something. Well. You bottom your feet start hurting, but it doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to do anything wonderful in your life. He may put you on crutches for a long time, but he's not going to do anything wonderful in your life. You know, we, we'd all be going out there trying to get hurt if, if we thought that because we, we go get hurt that God's going to do something wonderful for us. That's not, that's not the way God is. That's not the way he works concerning uh, these things. You know, it, uh, you know, uh, there, there were many widows in, in Israel, many widows in Israel. But God chose to send Elijah to one particular widow, and he even called her name. God said her name is Sarepta in the city of Sidon. God, God could have sent Elijah to uh, any of the other widows, but God didn't see fit to do that. Just like I said last Sunday, or Sunday morning before last, you know that God, uh, God, God just doesn't. When God saves a person, He go, He sets out to save a person. We talked about the pool at Bethesda last Sunday before last, when we talked about the fact that God only. There was hundreds of people that were there waiting for that water to move, but God only worked with one person. Well, why didn't God work with all of them? Well, it was God's will not to, not to. Well, why didn't God bless all the widows of Israel? Only He only blessed that one widow. He sent Elijah there and He blessed her life. Blessed her life. She was blessed from from then on. What about, uh, uh, what about uh, cleansing the leper? named Naaman. God, there, there, there were thousands, literally thousands of lepers in, in, in the land of Israel. But God cleansed one of them. One of them. Just one of them. Thousands of them there. He, he chose to cleanse only one of them, and that was Naaman. You know, it was Jesus himself who said Naaman the Syrian, and he, and, and he rejected the other thousand who were in Israel. Jesus said, and many lepers, were in Israel in the time of Elisha and, uh, and the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. You know, God, God could, if God wanted to, he could say, I want all of you to be clean, all of them be cleansed. You know, and, and some people say, and, and I, I, it's, it's, I guess it's about as close to truth as truth can get, some people say that when God yelled down in the grave of, of Lazarus, that if he'd have yelled down, come forth, every body down in that, every body down in there would have come out. But no, when Jesus walked up to the, the tomb of Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't mean for all the rest of the dead to come forth. Why didn't, why didn't he raise all the dead then? All those that are sick, that were sick and died. No, God does as he pleases. That's that's a sovereign part uh, of, of seeking souls. God does as he pleases. Don't get angry with this preacher just because I teach you that God does not save everyone. You know, we like to believe that every person we know is saved. We like to believe that every friend we've got is saved. We like to believe that every family member we have is saved. We like to believe that, but they're not always saved. Why, why, how come, what if God just chose maybe one person out of a family to be saved? And he don't save the rest of them. You know, that's possible. That's possible. That's very possible. That God only chooses one person out of a family and saves it, but yet we want God to be, we want to be assured that God has saved every one of them, so we have that in our mind and God has saved every one of them. That's not necessarily so. It's the same way, it's the same way when Judas Iscariot was put into the church. Why, why did God put Judas in the church? Well, God had His reasons for doing it. He has His reasons for doing it. I mean, God, God could have chosen 12 saved apostles, 12 legitimate apostles and, and put them in the church. But God saw fit to choose one that wasn't even saved to put in a church. See, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to tell you today, when we talk about seeking souls, you know, the Armenians have taken this Bible and they have so turned it around that they have, they have said that it's up to the man, it's up to the person to seek God. But it's not. It's not. If you ever sought after God for salvation, then you were chosen of God to do that very thing. You were chosen of Him to do that. So don't get angry just because I'm telling you that everyone is not saved and and that you think are saved. And let me warn each of you, everyone is not what you may think everyone to be. Now, You know, everyone you meet, just like I said in Sunday school, anybody can talk spiritual things. Anybody can learn the jargon of the Bible. They they can learn when someone comes up to us, "Are you saved?" They can learn to say yes, because they know that's what you're looking for. They know you're looking for a yes, and and and, and so what do they do? They say yes. But then you'll say, "Well, uh." Uh Boy, that's that's great. That's just wonderful. But we, when we realize it, when you talk about seeking souls and sovereign grace, what uh, Exodus says over here, what what is said in Exodus, you know, is saying that God doesn't always do things what man wants him to do. God doesn't always do what man wants him to do. Now, if we're to understand seeking souls and sovereign grace, we must see that the doctrines of God's sovereign grace has a great effect upon sinners. Without it, without it, there would be no effect upon sinners. Without, without sovereign grace, they wouldn't anyone seek God. You know, Paul said in Romans, the third chapter, he said, no one seeks after God. Not, not one person, not, not anybody seeks after God. Well, you'll say, well, I know so-and-so out there seeking God. Well, if you're seeking God, you're doing it because God is drawing you to himself. Or you're not really seeking God. You're just using terminology that that, that you don't know what you're talking about. Sinners are divided into two classes, as far as the Bible is concerned. Those who are awakened to their condition as a sinner and those who are hardened To their condition as a sinner because of this doctrine. The doctrine of sovereign grace, it will either draw someone or it will it will cause someone to be hardened and harder and harder and harder. You know, you can preach the truth to some people until it it gets it gets hardened to them. I won't hear it anymore don't want to hear those things. I'm tired of listening to those things. I'm tired of hearing those things. I don't want to hear them anymore. You're hardened. You're hardened to, to the truth if you, you don't want to hear it anymore. He said, I don't want to hear it anymore. They, uh, and I've even heard people say, well, my preacher preaches the same thing every Sunday. He preaches a gospel message every Sunday. Well, I've heard the gospel a thousand times in my life. But it would bless my heart if God just led me to preach a gospel message every Sunday. That would bless my heart, but God doesn't do that. God doesn't always lead us to preach a gospel message every Sunday. Those who are awakened are those who have had the true gospel message preached to them. The Armenians believe they can wake a person up by giving him or her a sense of duty that he, he or she must perform so that he or she will become a candidate for salvation. Sure. You know, if you, you just come to Landmark Baptist Church, you work hard in there, eventually God will save you. I can't tell people that. I can't tell people that if they come to Landmark Baptist Church. I would love to have some dedicated workers. I, I would love to have more people that, that are dedicated to work for the Lord. But uh, you can't just tell people if you'll come and work hard and work hard and work hard, then you'll eventually, God will eventually save you. He'll recognize who you are and what you are and what you're doing, and he'll save you. What a, what a, what a travesty of the Bible. Travesty of the Bible. That's a travesty of the Bible that anyone would say something like that. I had a family when I was in Kentucky, just to show you how these things work. I had a family when I was in Kentucky, they come every Sunday. They were there every Sunday. And, and, uh, and I preached to them. I preached the truth to them every Sunday. And uh, so one Sunday they didn't come. One Sunday they didn't come. And so the next Sunday they didn't come. The next Sunday they didn't come. And so I went to see him, and I said, how come you have quit coming? And uh, he said, well, said you know, the church right above you over there, we talked with the pastor, and he said, if we come and if we'll sing in the choir, if we'll do those things, God will eventually recognize our works, and he'll save us. That's what's being told to people. That's what's being told to people today, folks. Let me tell you all around you. You got family members are being told that. And they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen to messages like, like brother Paul preaches. They're not going to listen to messages that says, that, that says that God wakens some, but there's others he never awakens. They're not going to listen to messages like that. They love those messages says, if I, if I can do something for just a little while, then maybe God will recognize me and I'll be saved. Not so. It's not going to work. There is no such thing as a candidate for salvation. No such thing. I could ask you today, how many of you in here are a candidate for salvation? Or how many of you in here was ever a candidate for salvation? There's no such thing as a candidate for salvation. There's no such thing as God making people candidates for salvation. If God doesn't make them... If God doesn't save them, they're not going to be saved. I don't care how hard they work, what they do. You can keep them in that water up there until they look like a prune. It's not going to help them. I had a man not too long ago. He told me, he said, I talked to him about salvation. And he said, well, he said, uh, he said, well, he said, I know I need to be baptized. I said, what's baptism going to do for you? I don't, he said, that's just something people do so they can go to heaven. I said, where would you hear that at? He said, I, I used to go to a church where they taught you that. You'd be surprised people are being taught lies as far as the word of God is concerned. We wonder sometimes if we can just get people to seeking, seeking salvation, then uh, we've got it whipped. Well, that's just not true that's just not true. One can be a candidate for the president of the United States, which they've got a bunch of them. One can be a candidate for president of the United States but never for salvation. One who sees himself or herself as uh, as being completely helpless to be saved is one who is ready to be saved. When you when you see yourself as helpless Nothing else that you can do, nothing else that the preacher can say to you, nothing else that the preacher can preach to you. When you see that and you'll realize, then there is something out there that I need and you'll start seeking. But who makes you do that? Who, 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 who makes you do that? Bible says that if God doesn't draw you, He says you're never going to be saved. God is drawing you when you, when you come to that condition in your life, when you say, I can do nothing else for myself. There's got to be something else out there. God is drawing you. And you're going to say, how am I going to learn what that is? Well, he says, if Jesus is not preached to you, he says, you'll never, you'll never understand it. But when Jesus is preached to you and you realize this is what I'm looking for, this is what I need, then you're ready to be saved. But that only comes, that doesn't come by doing something. That doesn't come by working. That doesn't come by being baptized. That doesn't come by coming to church. That only comes when God is working with you. I've had people over the years ask me, what do they have to do to be saved? My answer to them is nothing. If you ask me today, Preacher, what do you have to do to be saved? I'm going to tell you the same answer. Nothing. You don't have to do a thing to be saved. Not one thing do you have to do to be saved. Cause first time I say you got to do something to be saved, you know what you're going to do? Ask me, well, what is it I have to do? And I don't know of anything you can do to be saved. I, I don't have any, I don't have an answer for you what you can do to be saved. My answer to them is nothing. My answer to you today is still absolutely nothing. Remember, only those who are born of the Spirit is spirit. And all those that are born of the flesh is flesh and shall live a life to satisfy the flesh. That's all, that's all they're going to do. They're going to live a life to satisfy the flesh. Now, when one seems him, sees himself... This this is part of it right here is is the important part of it. This this is going to be a short message, but this important part of it. When one sees himself or herself as having a great desire to be saved, one has part of the great battle won. You're never going to see and uh, and see the. You're never going to have a desire to be saved except God is working with you. One of the questions was asked me when I was ordained to the ministry. They said, when did the Holy Spirit come in your life? And I, I, y'all, when I was ordained, I hadn't been saved very long. And they said, "When, when when did the Holy Spirit come into your life? And my answer to them was, long before I was ever saved. And they said, that's a good answer. Because let me tell you, the Holy Spirit came into your life long before you were ever saved. Long before you're ever saved. Cause the Holy Spirit is the one that, that teaches you that you need to be saved. Not me. Not me. I would tell, if, if, if I could, if I could take everybody in that baptismal water up there and, and, and get them saved, don't you think I wouldn't have people lined up here to be baptized? I'd have them lined up to be baptized. Or oh, if, if I told them, if I told them, if you'll just come to church three days, three Sundays in a row, you'll be saved. Three Sundays in a row, you'd have a crowd. You'd have a crowd. Cause if, if, if anyone ble- you know, one of the greatest messages that is, that is taught today is taught by Jehovah's false witnesses. You know what that message is? There's no such thing as hell. That's a great message for the world. If you can do away with hell, if you can just forget about hell, then you live any way you want to. What difference does it make? You're going, you don't, you're going to die and go there anyway. But, but if you just forget about it, if you just take it out of your repertoire, if God just takes it out of your mind, then you feel that I can do anything I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't have anything to worry about because there's no such thing as hell. That's what they teach. The Mormons teach the same thing. No such thing as hell. You know, we're we're only we're only scaring people to death. I've had people tell me, well, all all you're doing when you preach about hell is you're scaring people to death. And, And that's right, because it does scare people when you start thinking about hell. When you start thinking about shutting your eyes never to open them again to this world, and you go to hell never ever to ever see any more peace in your life? Because the only life you're going to be living then is that life after death. Whatever that may be. That is fearful. It is fearful. But let me tell you, God says, I kill. He says, I make alive. What a wonderful thing. I kill and I make alive. When one sees that one is dead to anything this world has to offer to be saved. Then he is half done. God also says I wound. And I heal. You know when you get wounded. You get wounded down so, so far down. That you you don't know if you'll ever be able to get up. That's when it's time to look to God. And say Lord I can't get up on my own. you got to get me up. There's a doctrine for that. It's called lapsarianism. Superlapsarianism is when God takes you down as low as he can take you, and then he brings you back up. Lapsarianism means that God only takes you down so far, and then you're responsible to get yourself back up. Infralapsarianism teaches that God brings you down to a point to where you get, to get in your life, but you've got a little flame burning inside of you. All somebody has to do is fan it, and boy, you'll take off. There's doctrine in the Bible for those kind of things. There's doctrines taught in the Bible for those things. And for me to stand up here and tell you, all you've got to do is just walk this church out, you're going to be okay. But I'm telling you wrong. You'll say, well, that's detriment to your, your ministry. It is. I realize that that's reading this is not full today. That's detrimental to your, to your, to your ministry. Sure it is. Because when you tell people they don't have to do a thing to be saved, they have, God has to, brother, the people don't, they don't hear that. They don't want to hear that. They, they, all they want to hear is, they want to hear that I can do something. I've got to do something. What, what is it I can do? I can do something. I had a lady one time come in my study and, and plopped herself down in one of the chairs there. And she said, you tell me, what do I have to do to be saved? What, what, what do I have to do to be saved? I told her again, nothing. And she cursed me when she left. She said, I thought I was going to get some answers when I came in here. I said, you did get an answer. She was wanting me to tell her that she needs to do something. My understanding is, and what I've learned about the lady, she's gone to a lot of other preachers and done the same thing. I asked them, what do they, what do they need to do to be saved? Well, how many preachers have told her, if you just come to church, you just come forward, you just be baptized, and you'll be okay? But how many preachers just told her, there's nothing You can do to be saved. Nothing you can do. If you're sitting here this morning and you have nothing else that you can do to convince yourself that you will be all right if you die right now, then you are ready to come and be saved. When you get down to the lowest you can go, and you don't know how to get back up, you know what to do to get back up. God's not going to get you back up because that's what he—that's what he means when he says. When he says, I killed and I make alive. That's what he means when he says, when he says, I wound and I healed. God will bring you down to where you can't get back up. I've got to do something. Just like Bailey sitting back there. When Bailey was saved, Bailey looked at his mom and daddy and said, I can't stand this no longer. You're down, you're down to where you can't stand it no longer. And that's when you're ready to be saved. That's what God does. That's how He does it. How He does it. You are ready to call upon the Lord for salvation from a heart which is broken and a spirit which is contrite. David said, the, David said in the Psalm, he said the God would not listen. Until I had a broken heart and a contrite spirit. God will not listen until you get in that shape. He'll not listen. But the Lord will save you. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Come and and trust the Lord as your Savior. All right, Brother Richie, come and let's sing a song. And then I'm going to let you all go.